Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 3. This is Term 2 and Lesson 1. We are going to um, <clears throat> pick up where we left off last time. Now remember again, we are um, in John chapter 4. Jesus is dealing with the woman at the well. And um, just to get us all going in the same direction, what I'll do is just go back and just read the verses of Scripture leading up to where we left off. Uh, in John chapter 4. So, <clears throat> I'm going to read... I'll, I'll read from um, verse 7. It says, And a woman of Samaria came to draw what Remember, he's at the well, Jacob's well. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me? Now notice it's interesting that they never mention what her name is. And he says, she says again, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? All right. Who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. She's really piling it on there. And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain, or literally a vigorous stream of water springing up into everlasting life. Now he's making reference there to the Spirit that is going to be given. Amen? And the woman, let alone eternal life. And the woman said to, uh, said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Remember again that she's having to come here and obviously having to put up with uh, comments from, from other people about her lifestyle. Let me just say that and move on. Verse 16, And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Alright? Now, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Then Jesus said, said to her, you have, said, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you, uh, you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, <clears throat> let me start there, because this is, we were in the middle of this thought when we left off the last time. So if you permit me, um, I'll read my notes regarding this particular verse, and then we'll continue on from where we left off, which was a quote from D.A. Carson that we need to get to on the next page. Alright? Alright, so Jesus was so shockingly accurate that this woman doesn't even begin to deny what he said. Now that's really interesting. She doesn't say you're wrong. That's a credit to her. She could have... People lie today. I mean, seriously, man, you tell them something and they'll lie, a bald face lie in your face because they don't... You know, it's a self-preservation thing. They don't want to get caught. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. And so, so I, you know, I, I, we need to give this woman some credit here that she didn't actually lie. And Leon Morris writes, the function of a prophet in the scriptures was usually tell forth a message he had from God. But there is evidence that among the people of this time, a prophet was sometimes he- held to have a special insight into people. That's why when a woman who uh, was a sinner uh, was anointing Jesus' feet, it says in Luke 7.39 that the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this and spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And of course Jesus knew. So they, they had that mentality. Do you understand? I put that scripture in there to show you that they did have that mentality. They understood something about a prophet and what they were capable of doing. And we, I said before that Jesus knew and used the incident to teach Simon. This is the Pharisee, okay? A very important lesson about repentance and forgiveness. Uh, we'll look at those that in, in great detail when we get to it. So returning to John 4.19, and in relation to the woman's recognition of Jesus being a prophet, Leon Morris writes, it is possible that the woman was already already groping towards a recognition that Jesus was the Christ. The Samaritans acknowledged no prophet after Moses, and why they only believed the first five books of the Bible, which Moses wrote, other than the one spoken of in Deuteronomy 18.18, that was written by Moses, and him they regarded as the Messiah. For her to speak of Jesus as a prophet was thus to move into the area of messianic speculation. She is starting to think, maybe this is the prophet. Okay, and this is where we left off, and I didn't want to go on because we'll, you'll see today why I didn't go on. <laughs> because it is a very big thought, and we really need to deal with this today. D.A. Carson says, and this is where we left off, the syntax of the Greek allows the translation, I can see that you are the prophet. Okay, so when we actually look at the Greek text, we can actually, the, the, the syntax, now, D.A. Carson is one of the best commentators I have found. His understanding of the, the, Hebrew, the Greek really is astonishing. And the insights he gives are just tremendous. So I, I, I'm, li- I'm sort of liable to trust what he says. You all with me? Okay? All right. So, and so he says that the Greek allows the translation, I can see, the, the woman saying, I can see that you are the prophet, capital P. Because the Samaritans accepted only the books of the Pentateuch as canonical. Thank you. They understood the words of Deuteronomy 34.10. No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, from whom the Lord knew face to face. To, to, be, excuse me, to be absolute and in force until the coming of the prophet like Moses. Alright? Which they call the second Moses. Alright? And if there cannot be another prophet between the first Moses and the second Moses, then to call Jesus prophet is virtually to call him the prophet. Did you get that? So, Because so, they didn't recognize anyone else other than that. Except this one that was coming. So for her to make this comment, was to, for her to start to recognize, maybe this is the one we've been waiting for. Isn't it interesting, even the Samaritans were waiting for him. And they were ready to accept him more than the Jews. Anyway, all right. not that the Samaritans are perfect. Okay, <laughs> we are going to see that today. All right, so we'll take a good look at both of them today. Either way, this woman is clearly impressed with Jesus uh, in relation to worshiping. By the way, okay, the comment I made about the Jews and the Samaritans, not about history. All right, and so she now raises the question, beginning in John four twenty, that has been the center of controversy. She's got, she's looking at him, going, "Ooh, I, I think I got a good prophet here." 
let's deal with the question that has divided us for the longest time. That has caused all kinds of conflicts. Okay, with Jews doing terrible things to the Samaritans, and the Samaritans doing terrible things to the Jews, and their temple, and all sorts of things, which we won't go into today, because it'll take a long time to go through all that. So she's looking, she, I got myself a prophet, let's ask this question. This is an important question, alright? And so again, she says, uh, again, let me, let me just read this. So she now raises the question, beginning in John 4.20, that has been the center of controversy for the longest time, and a prominent topic of dispute between the Samaritans and the Jews. And that is, now watch, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Okay, now this is Mount Gerizim. Remember there were two mountains. There was Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal. One was a Mount of Blessing, one was a Mount of Curses. They would stand and they would... Okay, uh, uh, announce the, the, the blessings on one mountain, and they would reply with the curses from the other mountain. Okay, it was an interesting little deal that they had going there. Okay, so, so of course they're not going to stand on the curse mountain. Okay, they're on the blessing mountain. All right. <clears throat> so she's, she's saying here, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, okay, Mount Gerizim, all right, where the Samaritans built a temple as a rival place of worship, since they were not welcome in the Jerusalem temple. And she says, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now let's just stop here for a moment. <coughs> not just because I wrote it in the notes. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that the Jews wouldn't let the Samaritans worship in, that, in their temple? Isn't it interesting that today, if you're not a certain denomination, you can't go worship in certain places? That's right. It still happens today. That's right. You know, no wonder people are laughing at most Christians saying, you know, they're, they're divided amongst themselves. You don't need another religion to come in. They're doing a good job by themselves. That's right. <laughs> okay? And, you know, we need to recognize this as a, a place of weakness. Which is the reason why Jesus said, love is the greatest thing because it will bring... It is for a lot of reasons, okay? But one of the things that it does is it brings unity. Okay? Because love overlooks differences. Amen? And so we, I can stand and love someone and say, okay, even though we don't see eye to eye, I can still love you. And I will still love you. And I will do the right thing by you. I'm not going to stand and say, well, I'm not praying for you because, you know, you're the wrong denomination. And, you know, I want to just leave you there because, I mean, how else will you know that I'm right and you're wrong? And you should join my denomination. Are you all here? And, and we, you know, we, we like to let people suffer. <laughs> Am I ringing any bells? Pulling any files? Okay, because, you know, we might have invited them to our church. They didn't come, so you know what? Whatever. Now, please be spirit-led about what you pray as well. Because sometimes you can pray over things, and how can I put this? I need to be very careful how I say this, so you guys don't take this as an excuse to do this all the time. <laughs> there are some times when God will take His hand off something or someone to let them know they're going the wrong direction. Because... For Him to continue blessing them in the direction that they're going will cause them to further go in that direction. And if they're out of His will, to get further out of His will. Are you with me? And so if you start praying, 
and praying that, oh, bless them God, even though they're doing the wrong thing and everything else. I tell you something, you come against what God is, what God is trying to do. You are actually helping them get out of God's will and get into a bad place through your prayers. So we have to be really, really careful about that, okay? And so that's what I'm saying. There, there are times when we do need to take our hands off. But only as God says, not because we're, we're miffed. Did you get the difference? Okay. Then don't tell me all the time God's telling you not to pray for people. Because Anyway, all right. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get back to this. But, <clears throat> D.A. Carson writes, and I'll get back to our notes. The woman's discovery that Jesus is some kind of a Jewish prophet prompts her to realize the outstanding point of theological contention between Jews and Samaritans. As much... Uh, to de- demonstrate her religious awareness as to set the stranger a testing challenge. So she wants to do this on two points. Number one, she wants to say, I am, you know, I- I'm quite religious. I, I do know, you know, my scroll. <laughs> okay, they didn't have Bible, they had scroll. Okay, all right, all right. As, mu- as much as she wants to see if this guy can actually answer the question. Is he going to do what all the Jews do and say, we're right and you're wrong? You see this? So she wants to see, let's see how he... She's a sharp woman, okay? Okay. I like what dear Carson says here. There are some people who cannot engage in a religious conversation, he's quoting Bruce, F.F. Bruce here, with a person of a different persuasion without bringing up the points which they defer. <laughs> Have you ever noticed if you start to witness to someone and straight away they'll bring something up? Doesn't matter their life is falling apart, right? Doesn't matter that there is a God that just right there willing to help. Do you know it's interesting... <laughs> in, in the Gospels, I don't know if you re- re- picked this up. We will, you will get this when I finish with you, uh, whenever that year is. But <laughs> the way we're going. But <laughs> there's so much here. I don't want to rush through this. I'd much rather you know a little bit really well That's right. than a whole lot of nothing at all. Absolutely. Amen. Okay? Okay? All right. Okay. Now I lost my thought. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's, it's really interesting how people will find points of contention. They're going through a bad situation. They're going through something horrific. God is there. And as I was going to say to you before, you'll find that even, you know, the Gospels will record that the power was there to heal. And sometimes nobody gets healed because they are, they're, they're stubborn, they're obstinate, they've got a problem in their head. Okay? <laughs> and you, you, it, it, it's just astonishing. And the reason why we know there is a devil out there. Because people can't be this stupid, I'm hoping. That, you know, that when people are going through the worst situation, you want to pray for them. You want to help them. God is there, ready to help. He has done everything necessary to close the gap between himself and man. Okay, that's the word of reconciliation we are to preach. That God is no longer holding people's sin against them. Do you understand? Okay, there's not a problem there anymore. And yet, in that desperate situation, they'll turn around and ask something stupid, like not, can God really help me? But tell me this then, uh, who made God? (laughs) You think you're too stupid to pray for? (laughs) You You just think, why is this important? It's not. As if that, the answer to that question 
is going to do anything for the trouble that they're having in their marriage or the kids on drugs or whatever is going on in their life. They're about to you know, have their house mortgage, whatever. What does that have to do with anything? You know, it's just, it's, it's astounding how you, you see this going on in people and you think, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Let me just answer this question very quickly since we brought it up. You know. Very quickly. Short version. We can't answer that question because the Creator is outside of His creation. God is not bound by time, space, matter, nothing. Okay? It's just like if you create something. If I made this, I'm not this. I made this. I'm outside of it and I made it. So everything in here can't understand how I could be outside because all it knows is where it is. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? So we can't ever answer that question. It's only when we get to heaven that God will give us a revelation. And it will have to be a revelation of where He's come from. Amen? But He created all things. Therefore, He's outside of His creation. Therefore, we can't really explain Him in terms that we can understand. Because He's outside all of it. That's the short answer. So I'm not going in there. Any f- that's enough. Moving on. <laughs> we have a tremendous topic here. We need to keep on. Okay? Alright. So, <laughs> you know, the short answer to people is just say, look, even if I was able to explain it to you, you wouldn't get it. So don't worry about it. Now, what's wrong with your marriage and what can I pray for you about? Can we get on with this? Because that, that's just no point at all. Alright. <laughs> okay. You know, some days you just got to cut to the chase. You know, the people are too dumb otherwise. Alright. As, as to the point of contention, John MacArthur goes on to explain that both Jews and Samaritans, now listen to this, recognize that God had commanded their forefathers to identify a special place for worshipping Him. The Jews recognized the entire Hebrew canon, and they chose Jerusalem. Alright, because of those scriptures I've given you. The Samaritans, and the scriptures are down the bottom, by the way, in your footnotes, so you can read them later if you want. The Samaritans, recognizing only the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, noted that the first place Abraham built an altar to God was Shechem. Alright, there's a reference there. Which was overlooked by Mount Gerizim, where the Israelites had shouted the blessings promised by God before they entered the promised land. That's in Deuteronomy, okay? As a result, they chose Mount Gerizim for the place of their worship. Okay, so we see now why each one chose what they did. Okay, the Jews, the whole of the canon of, of what they had at the time, and the Samaritans, just the first five books of the Bible. Okay, what we call the Bible. After all, and this is a continuation, after all, Abraham's offering of Isaac took place on this mountain. Again, we're back to the Samaritans, okay? Uh, way of thinking, uh, or what they were thinking. And it was here that Abraham met Melchizedek. In fact, most of the blessed events in the time of the patriarch seem to have been linked with Jerusalem. But far from accepting all this, the Jews held that people must worship in Jerusalem. So who was right? Okay, so, so here is the case that the Samaritans made for building their temple where they did. All right, And they said, this is why we're doing it. Here are all the reasons. And the Jews still rejected it. They said, no, we want to build our temple in Jerusalem. All right, But Jesus, with His extraordinary ability to alter perception and tradition, 
perception and tradition is the two things that trap us perception and tradition we have to be so careful amen of perception see how you perceive something is how you see something even though what you're seeing may be something different to what you perceive so you could look at something and think oh that's dangerous your perception is there's a danger there somebody else looks at that may have more knowledge than you and go no no that's not a problem don't worry about it okay you might see a snake let's just take something for example you might see a snake and you know you might not be the kind of person that knows every snake on this planet you know some people are you know, they can go, oh yeah, that looks like that, but it's not because it's got that stripe and that dot over there, and so it's not, you know, it's not deadly. So, don't, okay? But you're, so you can have a perception, you can look at something, you can have a perception of something, go, oh, that looks like a brown snake, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to, you know, or whatever, okay? Because I don't think they're good for you. Okay? And, and so you, you freak out, and somebody next to you goes, oh, no, don't worry. It's not one of those things. So, again, perception. Okay, we need to be careful. It is also what we do with people. We look at certain people and we draw conclusions. We judge. We have a certain perception. Hello? And God says, don't do that. Because we saw on Sunday. Remember? Jesse and his sons. <laughs> okay? Samuel saying, do you have any more? Okay? Because it says that God doesn't look on the outward. He looks on the heart and we need to see the same thing amen all right <clears throat> so jesus has, has this extraordinary ability so but jesus with his extraordinary ability to do all the perception and tradition uses this conflict to open up the way for him to speak to this lady about the essential nature of god this is incredible and of the worship that should be offered him okay i i don't know if i would have done so well i you know we generally get mad when people ask stupid questions or challenging questions. When we're trying to be helpful and then they get all contentious, we want to get contentious back. Can I get a witness in the house? Okay? Jesus didn't. He just let it slide. And you know what? He is looking for the heart of the problem. So not only does, does he know the heart of the individual, but he also looks for the heart of the problem. Where is this coming from? Okay, and I love his answer and praise God for his answer. I, just, just brilliant. He's about to point out that genuine worship is actually spiritual in nature. Okay. And therefore, is not dependent on places and things. That should be things there. I'm sorry. Uh, put an S on there. But on the attitude of the heart and mind and the obedience to God's truth regarding the object of worship. And also the method of worship. Is that too many things? Can I go over it again? Okay, so he's about to point out that genuine worship is actually spiritual in nature and therefore is not dependent on places and things. Okay, so that's number one. It's spiritual in nature, alright? But it's also on the attitude of the heart and mind. Alright, so where your heart and mind is as well. Okay, because remember the heart and mind of the Pharisee wasn't very good. When he was worshipping God and he was praying, he said so everybody could hear. Remember that? Okay, he was advertising his worship. So heart and mind was not right. 
Do you understand? So Jesus is saying these are things that are important. Okay, the attitude of the heart and mind, the obedience to God's truth regarding the object of worship, so that you actually worship the right God. (laughs) Okay? Not like a tree stump or something. Okay? Alright. And also, the method of worship. How you worship. Okay? So, you know... It's not a good thing to bring your firstborn and sacrifice it to God. This is, this God's going, this is not what I want. You're committing murder in worshipping me. <laughs> Hello, okay? The way you worship is important. I'm using very extreme examples, but you understand what I'm saying. Okay, <clears throat> I can use other things, but never mind. <laughs> uh, let me just say this, let me just say this. <clears throat> One of the things that I'm, I am dealing with the series, uh, The Anointing right now, on purpose, because uh, God wanted me to go in that direction, and now I can see His purpose. Okay, and uh, one of the things that I really want to bring into our worship and our time of worship is that anointing. Uh, I want us to go beyond singing songs and get into a place where the anointing destroys yokes, bondages, weights. It does something, it, is, it has power to do the miraculous in your life and in your circumstances, but it needs to begin with you. And um, that was something that was uh, very familiar to me and um, something that I used to do all the time and then I found that people were, uh, people knew, knew people that were coming into the church were having difficulty with that and found it a bit difficult to, to sort of get into, so we backed off and became a user-friendly church. Okay. <laughs> okay, but we need to go back to being God-friendly again. Okay, and not that we're not, but there are deeper levels. Okay, there, there, are, there are places that we can still go, and I want you to experience that. So, I will teach you about it first, and then we'll slowly wade into it. I will tell you this much, you will be blessed. Amen. It'll be something that will be refreshing and really bless you. So <clears throat> that's what Jesus is talking about here now. All right, and I think it's appropriate that this came at this time. All right, so uh, method of worship, and so it goes on to say in John chapter four, verse twenty-one. And Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me." Now he said this in order to emphasize the startling character of the declaration which he is about to make. And that is, the hour is coming when you will neither, and the word here is exclusively on this mountain, nor exclusively in Jerusalem, worship the Father. Brilliant answer. Okay? So, she's going, which is right? He's going, neither. He's saying, the time is coming when it won't matter. Location won't matter. Okay? Not that it ever did, by the way. Anyway, in other words, as Leon Morris puts it, the woman had appealed, uh, yeah, appealed to the example of our fathers. Jesus point, pointed her to the one father. Remember, he, she said, our fathers worship on this mountain, blah, 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 blah. What do you reckon? And he's turning and saying, forget your fathers. You need to focus on the father. Yeah. Okay, and remember Jesus bringing this relationship now uh, in as well, because they used to just see him as God. Mm? When, when, when they asked him, uh, teach us to pray, he said, pray in this way, our Father. Oh, I think all the Pharisees' toes curled up. That's right. Because religious people don't want to do that. They want to be very religious. This is relationship. 
religion doesn't like relationship because it takes power away from them. That's true. Let me just say that. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Furthermore, as John MacArthur explains, there was no reason to debate locations since both places would be obsolete soon and neither would have any role to play in the lives of those who genuinely worship God. Jerusalem would even be destroyed with its temple in 70 AD. Remember, that won't even exist. There won't be any question. <laughs> the spiritual Bible says that true worship is not a mere form and ceremony, but spiritual reality. Let me say that again. True worship is not mere form and ceremony. Turn to hymn 55 now and we will say... Okay. Not that the hymns are bad. Some hymns are all just gorgeous. But it's the way in which it is done. It is so staid and just so... My God, man. You know? Okay? There's just no rejoicing in it. And that was for a time when... That was pretty, you know, uh, radical. You know, we say rad, okay? <laughs> Alright? But that was a long time ago. That's no longer radical. That's just dead. Most of it, you know? And that's what, you know, makes you happy. But <laughs> notice again, he says here that true worship is not mere form and ceremony, but spiritual reality. Spiritual reality. Okay, which means something is going on. There is a reality to this. When, when you're singing a song, you're not just singing a song, you're literally communicating with God. And if there's no communication there, there's no reality there. And again, we need to be careful about things like this. It's very easy to get into. A lot of people just go to sing songs. Let me just stop here for a minute. You know, we're dealing with worship. Let's deal with it for a minute, okay? One of the things that we are constantly looking out for, and, and, and we're, we're moving into a place now that I have to even be more aware of this, more conscious of what we're doing, how we're doing it, um, and that is entertainment. Okay? Entertainment is the counterfeit to anointing. Okay? They both do something for you. One on the outside, one on the inside, so to speak. Okay, now I know you get excited on the inside when you're being entertained really well and everything. But what I'm talking about is spiritual. Okay, that kind of inside. Alright? Where something either happens and you get closer to God. Okay? Rather than feeling good and mistaking that for God. Entertainment can make you feel good. I listen to songs, and you know, I, I listen to some of the old songs and stuff. You know, and, and it takes me back to places. You know, it just takes you to a place, and you're happy. You know, you were near a lake or something, and you were with people you loved, and you know, it just it blesses you. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong, okay? But what I'm talking about is a connection between you and God. What I'm talking about is there is something real and something energizing that begins to take place and something miraculous begins to take place so it's not just a good feeling okay it is a atmosphere of miracles that's what you start to sense you can be in a church and they could be singing some fantastic songs and have some beautiful singers and you get more caught up in the people 
and how lovely they look, and how beautifully they sing, and did you catch the four-part harmony, and all, and you're thinking about all of that, not God. And then you say, oh, you have to hear this, it's such beautiful praise and worship. What are you promoting? You have to hear this? It's so beautiful? Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But we have to be careful that we, are, we, don't, become, we don't become so professional that people are awing about what they're seeing, not in the presence of God. Do you know what I'm trying to say? We have to be careful. Now, we need to be, we need to be really good at what we do and not standing out. Did you get that? We need to do it so well that people didn't even know you were up there. They just know they had an encounter with God and you made it really easy for it to happen. You weren't singing flat. And you were... And you weren't playing, you know, and, and you know, they weren't saying, oh, you know, now no, forget about all the flat singing. And, you know, their heart is right. Dear Jesus, go and sit down. We need somebody who can actually have the good heart and be able to do it right. You know, because if we, we can't, we're having trouble getting into worship here. We're not thinking about God. Now we're thinking about badly you're doing. That's as, <laughs> that's, you know, that's as bad as doing really well and drawing attention to yourself. It's just as bad. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, so we, we need to move towards that place and we, we really have to watch our P's and Q's. We really have to watch what we're doing when we're up here. Amen? So that when, when we are finished with our praise and worship, that people are just caught up in God. And they just don't want to come back down almost. They're just like, oh, it has been a hard week and I just feel like I'm on the mountaintop finally. I'm in a place where I can just sense the presence of God and all the weight has just, just melted away. And I feel strength coming back in. And I feel hope coming back in. And I feel clarity coming back in. And why did I do that? Why was that was so stupid? You know, you, know, you start to see things that you've done and, and, and answers start coming. That's when you know you made it. Amen? That's when praise and worship is successful. And you're in the right place. Do you all get that? Okay. All right. <laughs> I can see you got it. I can see you got it. Praise God. Awesome. Praise God. Okay. I have run out of time. Um, <laughs> let, let me just finish this and we'll come back to it. Okay? So true worship is not mere form and ceremony, but spiritual reality, which is in harmony with the nature of God, who is spirit. Worship must also be in truth, that is transparent, sincere, and according to biblical mandates. That's commands and directives. Okay? We will continue uh, with this when we come back from our break, and I will talk to you further on this. Take a break.